Well, hello everyone, and we are back for another episode of the Freaking Geeks podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and with me is Sarah. Hey, freaks and geeks. So, this episode is all about Arrival. Yeah, we're kind of over the moon about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, I saw this uh, this past weekend with a friend of mine. Um, I contacted him... uh, the morning of actually it was kind of a spur of the moment <laughs> thing i i was actually looking for someone to go watch the movie with if i would have gone by myself i would have been fine but you know i was just thinking hey maybe somebody out there would you know want to go to the movies so i texted my brother and you know he couldn't do it he was busy and my cousin and and uh he you know everybody was busy and so you know my so you body. go to the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> Went to the bottom of the barrel, scraped the bottom of the barrel, and, and <laughs> dragged a friend out of there, and he said yes. You know, Hopefully no. he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, you know, it was just uh, kind of going in an order of mostly family to friends, you know, kind of thing. And uh, I had a few more people that I could have asked after him, too, but you know, he just said yes. And I thought, all right, great. So we <laughs> Done and done. <laughs> so we met up, we ate uh, some food, and, and then went and watched the movie. He, he really liked it too. Uh, he thought it was excellent. So, uh, I spent days and days after that, I pretty much since that, that moment, I, uh, I've been thinking about this movie almost nonstop. So it's, it really, yeah. it really sticks in your craw. Yeah. And it's weird how it just kind of seeps in. Like my husband and I were driving home from work and it was dark out today and weird things are going on on her drive home and i got like a paranoid brain on right now after seeing this like there's lights in the sky like you know the searchlights on over our town and driving home over the um uh greenhouses there's this big green and yellow flash and like people were driving kind of crazy i'm like oh god what's happening right <laughs> alien invasion it's actually happening <laughs> It's happening. They were warning us. Where's the giant pods, right? Except this time, they're not going to be nice. (laughs) They're going to be like, actually, like, hey, Cthulhu's here to kick your ass. Right. It's going to be, it's going to be Independence Day, you know. (laughs) Uh, All right. So let's, uh, let's go over some basics about this movie. So Arrival was directed by uh, Dene Villeneuve, and he uh, has directed some really good movies. In fact, every movie he's directed, I think, has been really, really good. He uh, did Prisoners a few years ago, and that had uh, Hugh Jackman in it. Um, ah, there's somebody else who was in that, uh, another actor who I recognize. Um eyes point a blank but anyway he did prisoners have you seen prisoners no <laughs> okay it right i don't know the why shark. i ask these questions uh i do this every time it's a, it's a habit that's what it is it's habit um it's normal it, person you'd yes, ask right right so uh that was really good um and then he did sicario which came out last year with uh, emily blunt and uh that was excellent really really good um his best movie he's done uh, up until maybe this one. Although I think there'd be a lot of people that are going to, you know, argue about whether Sicario or this were better uh, movies. So uh, he's a director with a really good track record so far. 
pretty much everything he touches is turning into gold. And he's doing the next Blade Runner. Yes, he is. And I'll tell you what, having watched him go from Prisoners to Sicario to this, he's like a chameleon. You know, he, these are all movies with very different styles, um, different subject matter, different themes, wildly different themes. It, it's really, really impressive what he's been able to do so far in his career. It, it, I cannot wait to see what he brings out next. And if Blade Runner, if Blade Runner even approaches the quality of these first three films that he's directed, I, this. This is going to be awesome. This Blade Runner movie, Blade Runner sequel is going to be amazing. Yeah, and um, he or he didn't write Arrival. Um, it was actually based on a book um, called Story of Your Life by Ted Chiang. Yeah, it was a name. it was actually a short story, uh, a novella. It was uh, Hugo <laughs> Award winning. Um, so it, this is a, a story with real pedigree to it. So, I'm just looking him up right now. He's really young looking. Right. Or he's not. He's in his 40s. <laughs> well, yeah, but you got to remember he wrote this in 98. <laughs> well, he's still he's Asian. They just don't age. <laughs> right. Right. They eternally young. Really? Like, seriously, up until you hit 80, it's just like you look like you're 20. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, this, this movie had a budget of $47 million. So it, wow. it's not a movie. It's, I mean, forty-seven million dollars isn't. Um, it's not any. It's not nothing. But it's um, it's a far cry from you know some Marvel movies like I don't know Captain America: Civil War was like a hundred and fifty to two hundred million dollar movie. You know. Yeah, and um, let's see, Guardians of the Galaxy was like one hundred and seventy million. Right, right. So th- this movie is. Um, you know, a quarter uh, of the budget of a lot of those movies. Um, so this movie, okay, let's, let's start it out this way. Before we get into anything else regarding the movie, let's talk a little bit about what we did in the movie theater before the movie started, right? There were trailers. Oh, yeah, there are some good trailers out. Um what I saw was um, a trailer for Collateral Beauty, which is starring Will Smith, Helen Mirren, Keira Knightley, and the other guy, I forget his name. But it's a concept of, like, Will Smith has, you know, lost a child, and he's unable to cope. He starts writing letters to, you know, love and death and time, and, you know, at the end of being in, like, the, you know, people... I don't know. He, he doesn't explain in the trailer if people, other people can see them or not, or if it's just he's loony bins and he's created these people. But yeah, Helen Miriam is death, and I think that's an amazing choice. <laughs> I think she's going to be so good. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it looks like very intellectual. I'm really looking forward to seeing that one. Then, <laughs> then there's um, uh, cure for wellness. And it's just kind of mindfuckery. It's a, it's <laughs> it looks tri- like an insane asylum. Very trippy. Very um, uh, American Horror Story vibe. Uh, it's very dark. It looks like a mental asylum. And it's just very strange looking, you know? Right. Like, I'm not even too sure what it's going to entail. 
it's more like just kind of shocking you into what's going to be in this movie. Yeah, the trailer is unsettling. It really is. But, oh, man, it, it looks good. Right? It does. It looks good. Yeah, it looks very well made. Yeah, it looks uh, really well made. Um, interesting concept. So, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out. You know, maybe... Maybe it'll be really, really good. It certainly looks good, but you know there have been a lot of good-looking movies that are still terrible. So let's just kind of <laughs> hope that it's uh, it appears unique in a way. Well, yeah, an original. I, I, okay, I don't want to say unique because that that's it. Um, it doesn't feel like it's it's made from the same same cloth that a lot of movies are made from these days. Like everything's a sequel, and everything is. You know, if a dinosaur movie comes out, then eight dinosaur movies come out because one was successful. So it's nothing like that. It feels like there's some risk being taken with this movie and like, just being made. The director who did this, who is doing it, he's uh, Gore Verbinski, and he's got a range of, you know, Rango <laughs> to The Ring. <laughs> it's from Disney movies to horror movies and like The Weatherman in between. <laughs> He's done Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what it does with this one. Because it doesn't appear to be anything like any of those except maybe close to The Ring. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in terms of uh, color palette, the, the Ring is probably the closest thing. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of uh, blues, a lot of uh, washed out color. Um, it it does bear a lot of resemblance to the ring in terms of maybe visual style, and uh, you know, like I said, color palette um, and aesthetic. So I think that that might be a direction he's going to lean into with this movie. But it's a good director; he's really good. So you know, maybe that that pedigree. Uh, as a director is going to really point this uh, project a little higher than I think if it was made by just Joe Schmo that we never heard of. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, a little more merit to it. Right. I, I saw the the uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them trailer. Of course, we all know that that's coming out uh, what tonight, actually. I think. Is I, it really? I think it, uh, actually, I think it started playing around 7 o'clock tonight. We're going to wait and, and watch it next week. My wife uh, wants to watch it, and uh, but no real free time until Thanksgiving starts. <laughs> so, oh, and um, might as well get into announcements, you know, before we, we get into the actual review of the movie. Uh, so I made this announcement on the podcast that we recorded last night so to let everyone know of course next week is you know thanksgiving uh a week from now i will be cooking thanksgiving dinner there'll be relatives coming over our normal recording nights are tuesday and thursday but given you know all the preparation and everything that goes into you know hosting family and making thanksgiving dinner and all this stuff you know you get to clean up and make everything look presentable you know, rather than the normal look, of which is just general chaos. Um, <laughs> Junkyard. <laughs> right. So next week is going to be a little bit of an off week when it comes to the podcasts. All right. And, and that's across all of them. Right. So what we're going to do is Tuesday, 
we're going to record some mini episodes of the podcast. And uh, we don't know exactly what the content's going to be right now. It's probably not going to be like your standard content that we do every week, but just shortened. It, we'll figure out something and we'll just uh, create some kind of fun content. You know, maybe a, like I said in last night's podcast for uh, American Gods, um, maybe like a top 10 reasons to be thankful for this show or whatever, <laughs> movies, whatever. So we don't know yet. Uh, we haven't fully decided. We'll figure that out between now and Tuesday. And uh, we're going to record you know, a bunch of episodes and, and we're going to throw those out immediately, or I will edit and get them out as quickly as I can on Wednesday morning. Uh, because after that, I'm going to be really busy and there's just, <laughs> this is no way that, uh, there'll be time to record. And yeah, uh, he shows his family over you guys. So sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just I'm being selfish, you know, really um, you are <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, uh, the thing is, and, and straight up, uh, Look, the reason we record on middle of the week is because that's the best time for the two of us to record. Um, we leave our weekends free for a reason, because we both have families, we both are married, and you know our, our significant others would like to you know go out and do stuff. <laughs> See us once in a while. <laughs> right. So you know, even though we could record on the weekends, it's just a lot harder to do that, and we don't want to to create uh, imposition with our you know significant others so so that's why we record midweek so that that yeah that's just the way it's going to be next week it's going to be a bit of an off week we'll still have content it's just not going to be your normal content and then the week after that it's going to be back to to normal so yes because like we do record just two days but it's pretty much about four hours each day, four to five hours. And so that's like 10 hours out of, you know, our week that we ignore our significant other. And any more than that, they would definitely, you know, protest. <laughs> right. Right. That's why we limit it usually to two days. Now this week we did do three days, but it was only because uh, Tuesday night we recorded a podcast and it, I was exhausted. I'd been up since 2.30 in the morning. And by the time we finished the first one, it was what 11 o'clock i think we were both yawning audibly so we just decided to call it a night yeah and then we recorded last night and recording this night so actually we were doing you know three <laughs> nights of recording which is usually not what we do like i said it's usually we usually just cram it tuesday and thursday but yeah every once in a while we have a week where it's just like okay i cannot record another podcast tonight i'm going to pass out <laughs> in five seconds so. Yeah, like you were talking for five minutes and I just had a power nap. <laughs> right, right. I don't uh, know what you said, but I'm just going to nod and agree. <laughs> right. Like, yes, that was a lovely thought. Uh, I totally agree with what you just said. I, I just talked about murdering my whole family. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, oh, bad yeah, idea. Well, uh, bad good, good luck with that. Thumbs up. You know? <laughs> I hope you succeed. <laughs> yes. may, you, may your killings go well. May your killings be ever in your favor. Right. <laughs> Which actually, The Hunger Games is on our TV right now in the living room, so. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's get into Arrival. Let's actually start talking about it. And uh, give me your give me your general thoughts in this movie. You know, non-spoilery. What's your, what's your general thoughts when you walked out of this movie theater and you and your husband were 
getting in the car and you're both talking about this movie, what were you saying? It's hard to surmise like what you just watched because it is so much so meticulously, you know, presented to you. But, you know, our minds are just blown. <laughs> we're both like, I can't believe what we just saw. It was fantastic. You know, we neither of us expected it to be this good. And you know, the beginning of this film, you know, see, I guess I can't really spoil it. Uh, I don't want to spoil it in this segment, but it just kind of had the feeling of something I had seen before and I thought I would like already figured it out, but they completely, you know, go off the charts and it's highly intellectual, very, you know, well-paced. Um, they don't go above your head, you know, they know their viewer is smart and they stick to that level of intelligence and, but it was just incredible. It was so, so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, when I walked out of the movie theater, I was trying to, to compare it. Uh, my buddy and I were talking, and I was, I was explaining to him the, the revelation towards the end of the movie, because he didn't actually understand what was going on a little bit at the end there. It, it kind of went over his head a little bit. And so I kind of explained things to him, and then he was like, oh, I see, okay. And then he was, you know, much more impressed by the movie. He liked it, <laughs> but he was, like, a little confused. Um, and then we started talking about, you know, what this movie reminded us of, past movies, things that we'd seen. And um, it reminds me of a combination of contact, um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and um, oh, there was another movie. I'm trying to remember what Interstellar. That was. Interstellar, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you mix all three of those movies together, I feel like you get Arrival. Okay. A perfect cocktail. Right. Um, what I love about this movie is, and what I love, what I love about Contact. See, Contact for me, and that's a movie I want to review at some point down the road. Um, Arrival for me, or Contact for me, has been. Uh, a really important movie in my life. I I know that sounds a little hyperbolic, I guess, but it really it really has been. Contact for me was the first movie that I'd watched. I remember I watched it in college because I, I didn't watch it back when it came out. I was I don't know what I was uh, fourteen, and I didn't care about that movie <laughs> that came out. I was too interested in whatever other fun movie had just come out. Um, yeah, like, uh, I'm more interested in girls, not science. Sorry. Right. And so when I was in college, I finally watched the movie. And I was so blown away because by that point, I was receptive to, you know, bigger ideas and something intelligent, intelligent movies, <laughs> you know. And in college, you, you, you do that. You watch movies you never would have watched a few years earlier. Uh, you get exposed to different viewpoints and worldviews and um, just great ideas and intelligent ideas in movies. And so for me, Contact was a big game changer. It really showed me that you could create a movie that wasn't about aliens destroying you know, the world. It wasn't about invading and killing everybody. You know, like It was about communication and, and contact with a, an extraterrestrial race and how that could plausibly happen. 
and and creating a language that's not just one side or the other but that can cross on both platforms right and and so like contact arrival is similar very similar with that um and that's what i like about this this movie is about communication this movie is about uh hope and hope for the future and 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 what what we can be if we could all just communicate with one another you know instead of just pulling out your guns and your giant weapons and shoot each other and blow each other up and and annihilate each other's countries um maybe if we sat down and had a constructive conversation uh break through language barriers and cultural barriers and get to a place of understanding you know the world could have hope i mean we could we could progress to being more friendly towards one another and working together to just build uh, humanity a greater future than what we currently have going forward and I love the messages this movie has tried to impart I love what it tried to say and I feel like it what it did on all levels is amazing so that's my general impressions yeah, I 100% agree. Like, watching this, my first thought was, you know, beginning is very contact and the ending is very interstellar. And, yeah, it's a perfect mixture of these ideas. And, you know, I love that they didn't, you know, with the language, they didn't go to something that had already been done. It was something very new, um, using the uh, inky, like, uh, perfect uh, circles and, you know, the language that borders off of that. It was very cool and, you know, very interesting and new idea. Right. Um, let's start with a, let's kind of break down this plot a little bit. Let's go. Let's kind of go step by step. I, I kind of broke this all down. Um, the movie starts out with what we see is uh, Luis's um, flashbacks, which we'll just call them that for for the moment. Flashbacks for her uh, involving her her daughter. You know, she's a little girl and she's kind of playing with her outside. And then we kind of see very quickly bits and pieces. And it reminded me very much of Up, the Pixar movie. The beginning of Up, you know, which, I mean, if you've seen Up and you knew the beginning, you were were bawling. Yeah, it just like, if you thought you were going to watch a happy movie, they just, you know, immediately, you know, crushed you. (laughs) Yeah, I remember my wife, when we went and saw Up at the drive-in, you know, years ago, uh, when we were dating, um, she, <laughs> I remember we were five minutes, what, five minutes into the movie and she was like tears streaming down her face. I mean, it was like the, I've never seen a, a, such a visceral reaction to five minutes into a movie. Um, and so this is very similar, right? You see very few, quick bits and pieces of, of their lives together and then you see you know she goes from a little girl or a baby and when she was born to a little girl to being a little older to being a teenager now she's like i hate you know i hate you mom da 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 you know <laughs> what every you know teenagers do uh and yep. then we see her getting sick and then we see that she has passed away right yeah and we assume she gets cancer because she ends up you know losing her hair um and the doctors you know seems to be feeling her neck so it might be like the lymph nodes you know we don't get to know but we can just kind of assume it was cancer right i think i think they ultimately say 
it's something like an, an, an incurable disease. What it was like it? an infectious disease or something like that. Something. I think it was a, an incurable, yeah, an incurable disease. It, it sounded to me like maybe something relatively new, uh, a future disease that, that nobody has a cure for at the moment. But, yeah, but that's, that's you know, semantics. I mean, we're not going to you know, break that all down and, <laughs> yeah. and quibble over something like, could it be cancer? Could it be something else? So yeah let's uh kind of move on here and and so she wakes up uh louise does um she she seems a bit groggy uh we see her getting ready she goes to a college and it turns out she is a linguistics professor um very appropriate yeah and we don't know what the college is it's not a particular one that you know uh, it's an unnamed college which is fine because that's not important um we see her go into her office or her classroom. Um, she's ready to, you know, start the day. And but we've like already five people right. In there. <laughs> There's like five people in there, and we've already seen signs that something's going on. Right? She was walking through. Uh, I guess it would be like what the the common area. Common area, and like people were all gathered around TVs, but it's like whatever. Um, she goes into her classroom. There's like five people in there. And eventually one of the students says, hey, can you turn the TV on? And that's when she learns that there are these giant, you know, 1,500-foot, you know, monolithic pods uh, all over the world, just different locations, without any seeming pattern to them. Yeah, 12 different locations. Um, The only pattern they could figure out was that, you know, it was in areas that had low lightning strikes. That was all they could put together about that. Right, which, I mean, if that's the best you got... Anything, right. <laughs> it doesn't really seem to be much. Um, so, of course, they evacuate the college, and you know everybody goes home, and we see her kind of laying around a lot. Uh, we never get an exact sense of how long, I believe, that, that these pods have been there uh, between when she first sees them on TV and when the uh, colonel comes to try to recruit her, you know, we don't get an exact timeline, not important. Uh, could be a few days, could be a couple weeks, but eventually she makes her way back to the college. Nobody's there. Of course, it, it feels like she just wanted to get back to a place that felt normal for her. Right. Yeah. So and just to go back to doing her work. Right. So she gets in there, she's doing her thing and is a, uh, a knock on the door. It turns out uh, the military are there. They want to recruit her. And uh, they play a, a audio file of the language, uh, spoken language of the aliens. Uh, and it's like, they're like, <laughs> this This kind of bugged me because he's like, turns it off. He's like, so basically he's like, so what does it mean? Like, okay, yeah, okay. Uh, because I, I'm psychic. I, I can hear <laughs> what these this language is and I just know what it means. I mean, come on. You know, it's ridiculous. Um, like, what do you think? They're speaking Mandarin? Like, listen to it. It's just like screeches. Right. Like, it's not known language. Sounds like a whale, you know? Yeah, that's, what, that's exactly what I said to my husband. I'm like, it sounds like sonar. Like, they're speaking like whales. Right. Yeah, get Dory. Dory would be great. She could really communicate <laughs> with them. Right. <laughs> God, I love Dory. Right. Um, all right, so they don't want to take her you know, to where the, the alien uh, ship is at. Um, and so they go off to try to recruit somebody else, but 
she says, you know, have them give the def was it the definite the Sanskrit oh. uh, definition for war. Right, and uh, she gets woken up at night. Uh, they come by her house. Uh, it's because they went there and he got it wrong. The person they were meeting, and so they realized, okay, we need the best. So go get her. Yeah. They have her pack her bags, and she hops on board, and that's when she meets Ian Donnelly. Yes, who's scientist slash slash mathematician on the on the journey with her. Right, and I guess we should say that uh, Louise Banks is obviously played by Amy Adams. I guess if you've seen the yeah. trailer, you should probably know that. Um, Does a fantastic job. Right, right. Oh, this is a. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm gonna. I'll get to her more, but I mean, this is a powerhouse <laughs> performance. From her. Yeah, like I've never been a huge, you know, noticed Amy Adams kind of person, but this made me take notice of her. Right. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. No, yeah, here's the thing. I've always liked her. Um, I've seen a lot of movies with her in them. Um, I've always been really impressed by her, actually. I remember the first thing that I'd ever seen was um, she did a movie. Oh, what was it called? Called Junebug. It came out in 2005, I believe. Uh, it's a little independent movie, and if you haven't seen it, that's a good place to start. Um, she got her first Academy Award nomination out of nowhere. Like at that point, nobody knew who she was. Right? She wasn't anybody of note in the industry yet. Um, and so from that point on, I've always been really impressed by her work. Uh, she's been in different things. She's tried different things. Uh, she was in Enchanted, which I always, I actually thought was was really good. Um, it was cute. Yeah, and and but she's been in a lot of different material. Um, she did Tenacious D, right? And the Pick of Destiny, right? She did. Um, oh, what's uh, Doubt? Oh, that's right. She was on the on the road. She was in. I forgot about right. that. She was in Doubt, which was really good. Um, she was in, um, The Master, which was excellent. Um, uh, I mean, she's just been in so many good things and she really, she really gives, I mean, all oh, the fighter, the, f oh, she was great in the fighter. Yeah. Oh man. You know, so she's really, she's a really good actress. Um, she always gives uh, excellent performances. So I, if she's in a movie, I always feel like if she's in a movie, you're going to get a good performance from her. You're, you know, you're not going to get a bad performance from her. So I've always been impressed. It's crazy. She was um, born in Italy. Yeah. Completely Italian. Mm -hmm. You never would think that. Like, she looks Irish, if anything. Right. Um, and then opposite is uh, Jeremy Renner, who, of course, plays Ian Donnelly. Uh, you know, Jeremy Renner is one of those actors who I think is pretty solid. He's a pretty solid actor. Um, he'll give you, I don't want to say bad performances, but... I feel like he gives you a decent performance most of the time, and if the project warrants it, he'll give you a really good performance. Yeah, like he's kind of all across the board, really. A little bit. I mean, if you watch the Hurt Locker, which was like his, like the it won Best Picture that year, he's excellent in that movie. That it really, really good. Um, but since then, he's been a little hit and miss at times. Uh, but that being said, he's still a really good actor overall, and, and you know he brings a certain something to his rules. Um, I will get into his character a little bit later. I do have some thoughts there. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, the two of them meet. Um, you know, kind of a little bit of a meet, a meet cute moment, 
in the in the, the uh, copter, and uh, they're talking uh, about what the universal language is. She contends it's language itself. He contends that it's mathematics, and you know, so they're like a little bit of, already at a, like loggerheads a little bit. So yeah, uh, they get to the facility, which is right near where the the ship is at. Uh, they land, they go in, they get all their clearance, and eventually, right, uh, after they kind of get introduced to their teams and get all that started, they make their way to the ship, and uh, they go up inside. Uh, gravity is different there, right, when you ha- you kind of have to crawl up, and then when you get to a certain point, you can then walk the rest of the way up. It's like everything's been shifted sideways, so instead of, like, having to climb up you're literally walking straight across even though you're still going up it's it's a very it's very disorienting (laughs) yeah very much so it's like suddenly gravity just shifts and you know does a twist (laughs) right so they get up there and they make contact with the heptapods for the first time yeah freaky looking things right like long tentacles like a squid right they they shoot this yeah like yeah it's like they big giant hanging arms with the like whale sounds and accompanied with their you know appearance i was like my first thought was like oh my god they're baby cthulhu's <laughs> you guys are screwed uh they're it, oh uh they give them nicknames uh, abbott and costello oh, yeah. which i think that was, was so cute brilliant. brilliant really is and i like that they eventually respond to those names right Right, oh my God, I, that's adorable. It is a, they know their names. It is adorable. Um, so they they do start to communicate. It's a slow process, and I, I don't want to break down individually each session. Uh, you know, and how they how they do and everything because um, I can't remember <laughs> that much. Um, the, you see. Here's the thing, you know, when we when we review movies and we have them at our disposal, it's so much easier to go in and break things down scene by scene. <laughs> rewind uh, and right, replay. rewind and and it's a lot harder when you went to the movie theater. So, yeah. um, I essentially like. Sorry, go ahead. I just I made I made notes when I got home. And yeah. I, and so it's like this is the best I've got. So. <laughs> this is what is sticking. Right. <laughs> but like essentially, the first time she meets them. That's all that happens. She sees them, and she goes back, and um, they tell her that she's doing better than the last linguist, and we can kind of determine that the body they were wheeling out when she first arrives there was the last linguist, and he killed himself after he met them. That's what I thought, actually. Which is super comforting. Right. Um, so they, they do go back. You know, they keep going back, and it seems like each time they go back... They're making more and more progress, right? They start to learn uh, that the symbols that they're making with the squid ink, uh, each one's different. And by using, like, pointing to themselves and saying human and da-da-da and all this stuff, they eventually start to understand what certain symbols mean. And he, But the thing is, each symbol stands for so many different things all at the same time. So it's a very yeah, complex so right. It's a very complex language, uh, obviously a very complex language. Um, which, by the way, the uh, Dene Villeneuve and the screenwriter actually came up with this symbolic language. They had over a hundred symbols 
created just pr- presented just like they do in the movie and they ended up that's so cool. they ended up using 77 of them in the movie wow that's brilliant though like it's genius truly right so it is pretty awesome and i wonder if they just like actually you know detailed it out if they're or if they just had like paintbrushes and like whatever squiggles came out that's what it meant yeah i mean they had to be pretty i think i think i don't think it was that sloppily sloppy though i, I think they ended up being pretty meticulous with how they did this because they knew it based on how viewers are today they screen capture everything they break everything down if if they if they think you're being sloppy they'll let you know about it so i don't think they could just sit down and just start throwing stuff on a canvas and saying oh that's another symbol i think they had to be really uh meticulous in how they crafted each individual one to make sure that it it stood out as much as possible from all the others i can agree with that like i don't think they just you know Going into it blindly. <laughs> right. I don't, you know, because I feel like Dene seems like a director who's pretty much on top of everything. So, you know, I think he would want this to be pretty accurate based on what they were creating. So. Yeah, absolutely. Make it as real as possible. Right. Um, so they, they do this, you know, this whole thing. Now, mind you, while this is all going on. Luis is still getting these these flashbacks. You know, she's still thinking about her daughter, uh, you know, thinking about her death and all these different things that have happened, moments in during their life. You know, uh, her daughter is asking about their father or she needs help, and it, you know, she's like telling her that you know she needs help with science or with science. Go talk to her father, things like that. So the, like all this stuff is going on throughout the movie it's like she's it's like she's suffering from ptsd right like this awful thing happened to her and she just can't stop thinking about it yeah like it just feels like you know she's just unable to you know control her past trauma memories and it's kind of bleeding into her work and you know you kind of feel like it's gonna end up you know she's gonna screw up somewhere down the line because of it. Right. I mean, she's not getting a lot of sleep, things like this. It's it's really bothering her, and you can tell it. it's taking its toll as time goes on throughout the movie. Um, so they have this trial and error with Abbott and Costello, right? But they do eventually get to a point where she, you, you feel like she has a really good grasp on this language to the point where it, they'll, they'll create a symbol, like the Abbott, Abbott and Costello, they'll create a symbol, and she doesn't even need to look at all the symbols that she has in like her iPad like thing, you know, like she can just look at it. She already knows what they're saying. Um, yeah. It's, she's getting it imprinted into her brain and memorizing it all. Right. So they do all this, they're getting, they're making progress. And unfortunately, one of the things that Abbott and Costello end up sending is a symbol that is could be interpreted interpreted in two ways. It could be interpreted as a weapon or a, a gift, and when you're dealing with the or a tool, or a tool, and when you're dealing with the U.S. military, they operate on worst case scenario, which means to them, if it could possibly be weapon, then they go nuts over that, and they're they're like gearing up for war essentially. 
Yeah, just basically not, you know, just thinking of the worst case out worst case outcome and, you know, immediately wanting to attack if, you know, they so much make the slightest, you know, wrong move. Yeah, it's just not very smart. It's just, you know, narcissistic thinking and unintelligent. Right. Yeah. I mean, we also have a situation here where we're working with other countries, right? We're working with every country that has one of these 1,500-foot, you know, pods because we have to, right? We're all sharing information because we're all just trying to figure out what this means. And eventually, China breaks off communication completely. They just, you know, they're, they're very, suddenly become very protective of what they know or what they think they know. And so they break off all communication with all the other countries. Yeah, which ends up creating, you know, a chain reaction of all the other countries, you know, signing off. Right. Uh, and so through all this trial and error after this happens, and unfortunately with this this moment where they're not sure whether what they've been told is a weapon or a gift or whatever, it, these stupid, stupid, I say that, stupid couple of, you know, guys that work for the U.S. military decide, yeah, you know what, we're going to go and blow this ship up. Yeah, with like the tiny explosion too. Like it was a C. It you was might C4. damage those two. It was C four too. But it wasn't a lot. It was just like a couple bricks of it, right? Yeah. It's a it's a giant rock. What do they think they're gonna do? Right. Like, yeah, your C four is gonna take off the giant floating rock. Right. <laughs> Good thinking, guys. You did well. Right. Uh, but they ended up killing one of the hypnopods. Yeah. Abbott. Right. Poor Abbott. Um, so this blast goes off, and the blast is because the two of them are up there, Ian and Luis. They wanted to go up and, and do one last uh, attempt here to communicate, and unfortunately the blast goes off, and you feel like Abbott knew it was, you know, knows that something's going to happen, and so he kind of tries yeah. to get them out of the way, pushes them out of it you know just by like like I don't know if it's like a sonic blast or something but whatever they get thrown back and then the C4 goes off they get thrown all the way down into the shaft and when they wake up they're both in you know the military hospital so and like the the room they're in seals off so the explosion doesn't get to them um, but before the explosion goes off um, one of the Abbott or Costello um you know, sprays ink entirely across the glass and it just looks like bubbles and the camera captures it so they can study it, but it's just all these little bubbles are part of their language, different symbols. Yeah, and that's when Ian realizes or he at least comes up with the theory that this all has to do with time. And specifically time, maybe time travel, I guess. Because yeah, because there always seems to be the word time with another word. Right. Um, so, at this point, China is threatening to blow up the ships. Oh, China. And uh, <laughs> General Shang is, is the guy who's kind of making these decisions. And um, so now it's a race against time, right? Because if they start this, it could lead to 
worldwide war between us and alien ships. And so, yeah, you know, who knows if we could win? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Um, so Louise goes back to the pod, right? Because she's now desperate to, to help stop this. So she hops into a, like a smaller version of the, the pod that breaks off and comes down. She gets in it. She gets taken back up. And she's actually in the room with the aliens. And she can she learns to kind of breathe the atmosphere which they're in. Yeah, it's much more gassy atmosphere, but after a few bit of coughing, she just kind of seems to adapt to it and you know, doesn't panic. She just kind of figures out how to breathe in there. Kind of like in the movie The Abyss where uh, you know, they have water you can movie. breathe under. Yeah, it's a great movie, but they teach the mouse, they're the rat to breathe underwater. Right. Essentially kind of the same concept. Right. I actually just caught the second half of that uh, 3 days ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, it's like, I haven't seen that in a long time, but I always remember that scene, and that movie's really great. Right. Oh, it's, it's really good. If you haven't seen The Abyss, everyone, got to go check it out. It's uh, 1989. It was directed by uh, um, James Cameron, and um, it, it, it tell you what, if you watch that movie, go look up the history of the, like, go up the making of that movie. It will blow your mind. I mean, the, the, turmoil that these actors went through was so uh, crazy that I think really? both, yes both Ed Harris and Mary Elizabeth Mastro Antonio who played the two leads the the estranged wife uh, husband uh, couple they both had nervous breakdowns on this movie I mean Ouch. it was intense yeah if you go look it up it is fascinating and actually pretty scary what happened but why is it just being contained or oh, there was a scene Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio there was a scene it was the scene where I'm trying to think if it, if it was the scene where her character is like drowning or something and or if it was that if it was something else I don't remember what scene really set it off but I mean it was a it was a brutally difficult shot or shoot for everybody involved it was really, it was just really hard, and um, I can't remember the specific reason, but she had one, a good one, I think. Hmm. Wow. So that's intense. Did you know that James James Cameron has actually gone to the deepest depths of the ocean that only like a handful of people in history have ever been to? Yes. I think in the Marianas Trench, like that's crazy. Right. Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he made Titanic, so. Like I have the money to do this. Right. <laughs> Um, right. Off topic. Right. A little, little off topic. Oh, it's fine though. Uh, so while she's in there talking to um, Costello, she asks some questions, and one of the questions she asks is about these visions that she's having with about this child. You know, like what are these visions about? And Costello informs her that they are essentially visions of a daughter she hasn't had yet yeah it's her future right it's her future um which blows all our minds right uh so before we go any further just to, to kind of clarify this a little bit to make it a little more understandable for people that might be confused as to what's going on here okay so the general idea as ian stated that the language itself has to do with time time travel 
So how this works is if you learn the alien language, and I mean learn it, right? Not just memorize a couple words. I mean, if you learn the language like you would if you mastered French or Spanish or pick a, you know, any language across the world um, to the point where you were absolutely in full mastery of this language, um, you would be able to time travel, essentially. So the way that works is if I did that, if I learned the language of the heptapods, I could see my entire life, okay? From, you know, that moment until your death. Yes, I, I could say, okay, I know at the age of 89, I'm going to die. And this is how it's going to happen. That's it. Uh, but you can see yeah. everything. All the events that have come into your life and played a point and big moments and small moments, all that. You can see all of it, right? And that's what's happening here, okay? Now, some people will say, well, she's been having these visions since before the aliens even came. That's true, but we have to remember something. Uh, time doesn't mean anything. At some point, she will learn this language, which means even her events in before they actually landed are still um, something that she's aware of, and therefore um, she knows that the aliens are there, right? And her job is, as someone who has learned this language, is that she can see forward, and so she knows that she has a daughter at some point, but that's a little further in the future because she's going to make the decision to have the child. But at the moment, she doesn't, she doesn't know. All she knows is that she's been dreaming of this girl, and she can't understand what it means. It's been so all these times you've been seeing her kind of groggy or out of it or just like not wanting to talk about whatever she's going through. It's because she's having visions of a girl like that are bringing out emotions in her that she doesn't understand. Right? Because she's, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. And yeah, like when she, once she understands the language, you know, this the way they perceive time is now the way she perceives time and it's not linear to you know how normal humans can perceive it so these you know images she can see her entire life from beginning to end so bits and pieces have bled into her past and you know bits of the future have bled into the present and some of it doesn't always make you know sense at the time but it will eventually right yes very much so um, so Louise, uh, also foresees that the child's father, uh, will suddenly leave, leave them. Um, turns out that she tells him something uh, that he did not like at all. And he informs her that she made the wrong choice. Yeah. And we can just take from it that she essentially told him that she knows that their daughter will die. And, you know, you can't really determine how someone's going to react to that information if they would if a person would actually want to know the future and yeah that's you know something that'll could you imagine knowing that like and not being someone who understands and just you know knowing you're killed that someday like that's gonna be harder to cope with and some others might be able to handle right yeah not everybody handles something like that in the same way nobody does you know, that's why they yeah. say people don't, nobody grieves the same way. You know, one person that, that is just completely crying like crazy at a funeral, and another person is just standing there with 
seemingly no emotion on their face, but it's just grief in different forms. Yeah, exactly. And um, I'm jumping ahead a bit here, but I do think at the very end when she asked him, like, um, if you could see your entire life, would you change anything? I think in that moment she's probably decided that that's what she's going to change, telling him. Well, okay, we'll, we'll get to this. Uh, there's a big discussion here once we're done with the, uh, the breakdown here, but um, that is interesting. There's also a subject of determinum. Deper, let me say that again. There is also a, th- a theme uh, of determinism in this movie, but we'll, we'll get to discussing that here very quickly. Uh, let's just finish this up here, and we can really jump into that. Um, <laughs> so she, she has this conversation she now understands what they need to do and why, right? So it turns out that in 3,000 years, the heptapods are going to need the human race, right? They're going to need their help. So they need them to understand their language. Now, we don't know exactly why we need to learn it. We don't understand the nature of the problem. We just know that we need to do this. And so, obviously... Um, this language and the capabilities that you have, it's gonna, it's gonna be huge. I mean, it, it's something that if everybody learns this, everybody's gonna see how their life ends. And what can we infer from that in terms of what that could mean regarding the heptapods and why they would need us? I, I don't know. There's too many possibilities, but maybe that doesn't matter at this point. I smell a sequel. <laughs> Possibly possibly um with a bigger budget right in three thousand years in the future um so all right um so she learns all this information she eventually makes her way back down and uh she's she she wakes up right she it turns out they they're done uh, they've been told to evacuate uh and that's when she runs back in after initially leaving and grabs a satellite phone. Right. <laughs> grabs the douchey uh, CIA guy's phone. <laughs> right. So she uh, ends up calling the private cell number of China's general, uh, Shang. And, uh, because she's having a memory of this that in the, for the future. Right. So, how, so what happens here at this point is we're jumping back and forth between uh, present day uh, Luis and uh, future Luis, future release precisely 18 months in the future, because there is a a NATO celebration from the events of what happened um, and how everyone survived. Yes, and everyone's come together, and no one's fighting anymore, and you see all the flags, you know, around, and you also have a flag of the hypnopod symbol. Yes. All right. So. As she's in the future, right, because she knows the language, so now she's kind of flash-forwarding 18 months, General Shang comes up and talks to her and tells her how pleased that he is to meet her and that uh, she is the reason why they didn't attack the alien pod. And um, she also learns that the way in which she convinced General Shang in the past to do this is that she told him the dying words of his wife. Now On his private cell. On his private cell. Now, we also have to remember something, okay? General Shang, I believe, knows the heptopod language at this point, too. And so yes. he 
if he has also done that, that means that while they are 18 months in the future, he knows that Luis is going to need this information so that she can contact him, contact him in the past. So I think in this scene that we're seeing, he knows full well the information that she needs. And he's totally willing to give it to her because he understands the reasons why this needs to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I very much agree there. So, and yeah. so he recites um, in Chinese to her, you know, the dying words of his wife. And in present time, she's repeating it to him on his private cell to convince him that, you know, don't go to war. We need to communicate. Yeah. I mean, precisely. Um, we see uh, once, once this happens, once she confirms what his wife said on, as she was dying to him in the past. Of course, China stands down um, and everything is okay because that was the big thing, obviously. Yeah, other countries followed suit. Right. And um, we also see a, it, after this is all done, uh, there is a, a lecture that Luis is giving and in that lecture, it's uh, because she has written a book called The Universal Language, uh, based on the heptapod language, of course, because everyone needs to learn this thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess people can choose to as well. I mean, not everyone's going to want to know how they die. <laughs> right. There are some drawbacks. Um, so we get a scene. They're outside. Everything's pretty much done. Um Colonel Webster ends up thanking uh, Luis and Ian for their assistance, and he leaves. And Ian, at that point, professes his uh, love and admiration for uh, Luis. Yeah, it says he's been looking up at the stars his whole life, and you know he always expected to find aliens, but he didn't expect to find her. Right. And that's a so that's sweet. a pretty good line. <laughs> obviously, it, yep. obviously it worked. Um, sweet talker. Right. So, and here's the big here's the big moment in the movie because at this point, Luis now knows who the father. Obviously, she knows who the father uh, has been all along, which is uh, Ian, and mm-hmm. that she's going to have a child, and that this child will grow up, and eventually, as a as a fourteen or fifteen year old, she's going to die. Yeah. And this is a point where there's some debate as to whether she's going to ch- she could or will change anything. I think what's clear and what what's very brave in this moment is that she's still choosing to have Hannah. I think despite knowing the pain it's going to cause her. And yeah, she's okay. And, could and she's okay. Still with lead that. to the end of her marriage. Right. Yeah. She'd rather, you know, have her daughter live, you know, for fifteen years than not live at all. Right. Right. It's. it's I think it's very essential. That. Yeah. To her character. Right. Uh, I think it's a very gutsy and very courageous thing, because you know you're going to experience a lot of pain and loss. So. It's. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, you gotta also, you know, be aware that you can't distance yourself even though you may want to and in one of her visions uh you know her kid says you know 
uh, ever since dad left, he doesn't look at me the same anymore. And it's because, you know, of what she told him that he's distancing himself from their child to, you know, not be in so much pain when it happens. Right. So I think that is something she'll, you know, refrain from telling him in the future. Do you think that, okay, well, let's just finish, finish this off real quick. So what ends up happening is we, we get this montage of their life together, right? We see him in their life and reading books to them and we see that they're they're happy you know he you get the sense that they're very happy together and if it wasn't for this one thing i don't think he i don't think he ever leaves yeah exactly like he would stay till the end i'm i'm pretty sure like he would never abandon his sick child or anything like that right so okay um and that's pretty much the movie right there. We get this montage of their life together, good and bad, and, and um, you know, kind of wraps everything up. It, it uh, bookends everything really nicely. Because at the beginning, we get this montage of the girl's beginning of her life, her growing up uh, until she dies. And so at the end of this movie, we get a montage of, again, their life together, this time with, you know... Ian in the picture. Yeah, and it still end, it ends the same way. It begins with a shot in her house, and you know, like food and wine on the table. Except this time, you know, it's her and him drinking it. Right, right. Um, it's not just lonely wine. <laughs> no, no, which is a good thing. Um. Okay, so so let's um let's talk a little bit more in depth on this because we just did a good pretty good rundown of the plot uh what do you think the ending means and and by that i mean do you think that she's going to change anything or do you think that there is this concept of determinism right and so by that it means that the future is kind of set and even if you had knowledge of what was going to happen you couldn't change it like, even if you try to change something... So, for instance, give you an example. Uh, Hitler's rise to power, and he, he kills all of those Jews, and World War II happens. Now, let's say you thought, okay, I found a way to go back in time, I'm going to kill Hitler. And it ends up being something you can't change, in that he's still going to rise to power, he's still going to do what he's going to do, and you going back isn't going to change anything at all. Yeah, there's also the, you know, it could be like the butterfly effect where, you know, if you do change something, it could just be worse and have the same outcome. Right. But I think in this, I mean, I guess that's the question. It Because of her knowledge, does anything change? But then at the same time, you have to look at it this way. Could it? And by that, I mean, is it even possible? Right? Because, exactly. because she knows her future. So her future has to be set to, to, set to a certain point. Right, because look, she knows about General Shang. General Shang knows about her. He's seen his life from beginning to end. So if she's seeing her life from beginning to end, how could she change anything if she's seeing what's actually going to happen? Then again, you know, time for you know, the hypnopods is not like time for us. Maybe she could change something. Maybe if she made the decision to you know not tell him in the present that, you know, her future would change and her death would change, or uh, her divorce would change. I mean, why not? Maybe she'd never even know if she made that change. 
sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I can get be- I can get behind that. I can get behind I mean, that. If I was her, I definitely would not tell him, <laughs> knowing the future. Right. Right. Uh, okay, let's talk a little bit about some of the influence in this movie, some of the things that we saw. One of the things was the uh, Sapper-Whorf uh, hypothesis, which states that language influences thought and influences how we how our actions our actions what what things that we do are influenced by the language that we speak right so what do you think about that it's um it's a hypothesis that's been out for a while there's a a hardline version and there's a much weaker version i don't know like i've never actually even heard of this concept never really given it too much thought until i heard about today or last night and I don't think so. I mean, like, everyone's an individual. I think, you know, life influences us, not just language. I can see it loosely, quite loosely. Right, and I kind of agree there. I I think that language can influence you a bit, but I think obviously the culture that you're in is going to influence you a lot more than a specific language is going to. Like, sure, if you speak Italian, yeah, you might have a bit of a romantic flair to you. Uh, and like a Russian, yeah, you're or German, you're gonna be sound like a little angrier, right? But but I think that's quite the extent of it, right? I mean, I don't know. I think there might be a little bit there, but I don't think it's very much. So that's just yeah. It's but it's yeah. something that's been talked about quite a bit though, and obviously it was in the movie, so it's a concept which they think has merit. So I mean, maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. Um, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? <Right. laughs> um, here's the question. Did did Ian learn this language? He must not have. Otherwise, he would have known everything that was that was happening. Uh, some people have brought this up as a, a plot hole because, you know, he's been in that room with her every single time. How would he not learn the language as much as her? But I think we failed to, to realize that he's still just a mathematician and she is the linguist. And I think he probably knows a little bit, but I, I don't think knowing one or two words in, uh, or symbols or whatever in, in the alien language is, is going to allow you to travel along your own timeline. I think you have to have mastery of this language. I don't think it's, it's that easy. Yeah, and, you know, he may have made the conscious decision not to learn it. I mean, I think everyone will have that choice. If that becomes, like, something they teach in schools, you know, give everyone the choice to know if they want the ability to see their entire lives. Some people won't want to. No. (laughs) And she even guide him to say, like, no, you don't want to know. Right. Um. Yeah. I don't know. That's a toughie. It's it's a tough one. It's it's a real tough one to tackle sometimes, um, with with Ian and what he could or couldn't have done, or what he should have been able to do. And you know, I just take it that he didn't learn enough to really be able to understand the language and therefore um, be able to time travel. So yeah. Um, let's see. It's methodically paced. This movie. All right. That's something that I I. I I don't want to say I'll warn people about, but I think 
people are so used to movies just breezing by in like two hours and you know it's just a big action movie and and this movie is not an action movie at all i mean this is more like a sci-fi drama than an action movie yeah, I think the advice I would give someone who goes to see this movie is, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom, hold it in. You do not want to miss, like, anything. You don't want someone trying to explain what just happened. You need to observe. <laughs> right. And, you know, I don't know. I methodic. The pacing, I think, is something that I think people that are fans of TV shows and movies in the last 10 or 15 years that get... I guess they just get an idea in their head of how quickly a movie or a TV show is supposed to, you know, progress. Whereas this is the exact opposite. This is a very methodical uh, movie and is exactly what it wants to do. It's taking its time to get there and there are reasons for it. And I feel like with Arrival, it's the same thing. It's just a methodically kind of slow paced, but it's got a one rhythm and it kind of just uses it the entire movie. Yeah, I really appreciated the pacing of this movie. It was just, like, especially when we first meet the aliens, it's, you feel the weight of this discovery and this meeting upon her. And I, I first I was like, that's it. She just meets them and then they leave. Like, but, you know, it's a big moment to meet another species and one that doesn't look very friendly. They're, they're pretty creepy looking. Um, and so just having that, you know, it's small snippets and each time that they meet them, there is a time crunch and you only have so much time to spend with them. I really appreciated, you know, the, what they did show us, you know? Right. Right. I like it. I mean, it's a good, it's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. And I, um, towards the end when, you know, she's, you know, figuring out, like she can, see her entire life she's understood the language it felt very much like um in interstellar when mcconaughey goes into the black hole and he can see the split moments in time um very strange looking but he can you know see when his daughter's in her room when she was younger and go into different moments and make these changes or try to communicate from you know a different time and dimension and that's kind of what it felt like. It just explained in a different way, you know? Yeah. No, I totally agree. Definitely. I, I, I don't think I could put it any better there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the different, you know, scientific, you know, touches of different movies all mixed into this film. It's wonderful. It's got a lot of good influences. Like I said, you know, when you, when you combined Interstellar Contact and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that's a pretty good you know track record of just those three movies uh having smart smart intelligent uh plot smart and intelligent actors and you know i think that more more movies like this need to come out you know this isn't about let's go shoot up aliens uh because they're coming back to kill us this is um plausible yeah this is a plausible scenario in which we contact extraterrestrial life so yeah it's you know, intelligence, you know, it's most likely what would happen. Right. No, I totally agree. Um, let's see. There, There's some, where is this? Uh, there's a couple, I'm just looking at these notes here I have. Uh, Luis's daughter's name is a palindrome. Her name is yes. Hannah, which means that it's spelled the same forward or backward, which is it's also like a symbol, like a, 
idea for infinity. And uh, mm -hmm. I think that plays into this whole time travel thing. And it's also like the um, hypnopod's language, you know, it goes from, you know, right to left and meets in the middle. Right. It goes both back, you know, flip it and you're still going to get the same. Right. So um, a question here. Um, when it comes to Louise, I guess she can see her own death then, right? Yeah. yeah, curious. That's gonna be, that's gonna be tough. That's gonna be tough. Yeah, especially if it's not in a good way. Right. Uh, Car crash, fine. You go screaming and kicking. That would be disturbing. So, Jeremy Renner's character. I want to talk a little bit about him because I had a little bit of a problem with with his character. Uh, not with him as an actor, with with his character. So. Ian comes across as one of the best mathematicians in the entire world. And he seems like a nice guy. Seems intelligent. But here's the problem. And this is what kind of bugged me by the time we get to the end of the movie. He kind of doesn't have a lot to do. <laughs> I mean, He's just kind of her assistant. Right. I mean, beyond his uh, figuring out that the language had to do with time travel, which was obviously a, a huge, huge, you know, get, but I don't know. He just came across as a bit unnecessary, to be honest. Yeah, like he was just there for, you know, to be, you know, for her. He's just there for her and no other real purpose. Right. It, it's a, it's just, I don't know. There's no reason for him to be there sometimes. I'm like, okay, great. You know, like she's doing all the work, you know, all the work and you're just, like nodding your head or something. I don't know what you're doing. I'm trying to keep up. Right. right. So, anyway. But I guess if they, you know, spoke like the aliens or the aliens in contact try to communicate with math with mathematics, then he would probably be more useful and she would be the assistant. <laughs> right. So I guess it's just a flip. Right. Um Let's talk a little bit about the acting in this movie. What did you think of the acting overall? I liked everybody. Like, I didn't find anyone to be, you know, lacking in any way. Like, everyone was kind of had their part. Like, you got the douchey CIA agent who played his part well. Um, the colonel guy, he's a great actor. He always does good work. Amy Adams, top notch. You know, Jeremy Renner, you know, not... You know, anything that's going to be Oscar-worthy, but nothing bad whatsoever. He played his part well. I I wonder if you think that there could be a sequel with this? Yes, and I want one. <laughs> right. I want one so bad. And I want it to be very well done, very good budget. And, you know, into the future, I want to know what happens with these pods. <laughs> I like them best. I want to know what happens. Right. I, I, I don't know. I think that... I, yeah, here's... Okay. Here's the thing about a sequel to a movie like this. Um, it's, it's a really good movie. I just don't know how they would do it right. You know, okay, so let's... let's Let's hypothesize a sequel here. So, 
we're going to have a movie. We're going to jump ahead like 3,000 years in the future. So we're finally going to get a chance to see them come down. And we got to figure out, well, they're going to let us know what the problem is. Because, you know, they're telling us, hey, we need your help in 3,000 years. But we're not going to tell you exactly what it is. Yeah, and so that's going to be something they got to have created, whether if it's a different species that they have to create, or what if it is, you know, something as simple as, you know, something's infecting all of them and they're dying off. Who knows? Like, I guess that's really up in the air for the writer to create. Right. I don't know. But it would have to be very uh, well-designed, especially the worlds. It'd have to be similar to what they've already created. Very stylized. Yeah, I don't... Mm. I guess when you would get to a certain point in humanity, anybody whose lifespan got to the aliens, I guess they would then become aware, right? I mean, I guess you would get to a point yeah. where that would happen. But So I guess we would be aware, but I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I just, I don't know what, what they would get out of that. I mean, okay, so let's say whatever their problem is. They come down. Um, I was born fifteen years, no, twenty years before the aliens come come back. So I know what's going to happen because I'm present for it. I know they come down and they say something like, um, "Our race is dying. We need you to help find a cure or something." I don't know. We need to make hypno babies. <laughs> right, we need to mate with you. Humans and hypnopods. Right. And I don't, this got weird. I guess I don't understand what the what's the uh, tension. How how would you create tension in a scenario where technically I think you would know what the problem is, right? Or or is yeah. or is that would the tension come from? Hey, they come down. They told us what the problem is, and we never have figured it out yet. We're still trying to figure it out. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, that's the difficult part when you know like the future. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. It's a, it's a it's a tough one. You know, I feel I feel like I I don't know. I feel like that uh, a sequel is something like a sequel to the movie like this is a very difficult one to do, and they could, but I know I know it would be really hard. It would be really hard, given the scenario, uh, to do this. It would have to take time, have to be really smart, really meticulous about what they're going to do, how they're going to set it up, and create like a viable story for it. Something that still has the, the weight of um, you know, being intense and heavy, and like having that... Um, uh, that just feel like that, you know, everything's kind of up in the air and could, you know, fall at any time. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I, I'm hoping for the best here and, and maybe they do come up with something, but I, my guess is they probably just leave this as a standalone movie, which to be honest with you is fine by me. It doesn't really bother yeah, me. Yeah, I'd be content. Yeah. It doesn't really bother me if they never make a sequel. Uh, sequels tend to suck, so... Yeah. If it's going to be like, you know, how Alien had Aliens, which was even better than the first one, I'd be totally on board. We can call it Arrivals. Arrivals, <laughs> yeah. You know, let's just let's just pluralize everything. 
Um, exactly. Right. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to talk about? Uh, is there any like uh, any characters? I, I guess we didn't really talk about Forrest Whitaker at all. Um, he's the Colonel Webster. Uh, yeah, he was pretty much just there to be, you know, the uh, person who handled the, everything. The hard-ass uh, army guy. Yeah, kept everything in in control, and you know, didn't let you know she hit the fan, even though it did. <laughs> um. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, I consider this serious sci-fi. Um, I, I think that the tension is uh, created by having these international relationships, which are kind of being strained to the breaking point. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that kind of, I think it kind of ends pretty much everything I had to say about this movie. I, look, I think ultimately, if you want my summation of what this movie is I, I would say that it's just really, really, really good, uh, serious science fiction uh, with a good core of, you know, hard sci-fi that they really went, uh, in, you know, they really did a lot of research. They brought aboard, on board people that are highly respected in their field to make sure that this stuff was plausible. And then I think they also entertained twine that with a very emotional story and I think those two combined if done correctly give you what we have yeah very much so I completely agree it was you know a well-rounded very you know very elevated sci-fi movie that's I think it's gonna hold up for a very long time like contact yeah no I agree I I think that um, if I'm going to grade this movie, I guess we might as well get to grade grading. Uh, I'm going to have to give the, I can't, I, I got to give this an A plus. Yeah, yeah, I, a freaking plus. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Could we do a plus plus? I <laughs> um, no. A plus hypnopod right. plus. Right. You know, if you're a little kid, uh, infinity. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, infinity times infinity. Right. Right. You can't get better than that. Um, a plus, no. This movie deserves. It. I really think this is a a classic. Um, I think beyond a, a, a few minor quibbles, uh, like I said, the Ian character kind of yeah, bothered me a little bit. But um, you know, beyond that, I I like the methodic methodical pace to the movie. I think it is smart. I think the acting is uh, brilliant. I think. Uh, Amy Adams deserves an Oscar nomination for this role. I think she's so good. Yeah. Um, and the and writer. The writer. I think I think Dene uh, Villeneuve. Uh, I think he directed his pants off at this movie. I think the cinematography is amazing. Uh, I think this is a this is a film that could garner multiple Oscar nominations. Yeah, I hope it does because it really deserves it. Like, I haven't seen anything else that is as Oscar-worthy as this yet. So yeah, I, <laughs> give it I, all. It's, genre films don't get this kind of recognition that often. So if it can yeah. find a way to break through, I think that that's going to be fantastic for, you know, hard science fiction getting... I mean, well, okay, I guess The Martian last year really was was uh, the, the first hard sci-fi to really get some serious attention in quite a while. Have you seen The Martian? No. <laughs> Good though. Oh, it's amazing. If you love this, you're gonna love that. I guarantee it. 
Oh, I love um, Jessica Chastain. It, She's so good. I think, um, I think The Martian is going to be coming up as a movie we're going to review. Because if you love this, you're going to love The Martian. <laughs> I guarantee it. Okay, I'll have to watch okay. that. I've been curious about it, but I'm like, Matt Damon, it's kind of hit and miss oh, with him. Oh, he's really good in this movie. He's really good. He kicks butt. Yeah. Kristen Wiggs in this? That's crazy. Right. There's a lot of people. <laughs> Jeff Daniels and... Yeah, there's a lot of people in this movie. So weird, Sean Bean. Right? Like, does he lose his head? No, he does not. Thankfully, <laughs> he, doesn't he doesn't die. die. Oh my god, yeah. that's like one in like, a million. That's what he does. He gets his head chopped off, and if he doesn't get his head chopped off, he <laughs> dies in some other grisly manner. That's kind of like the way. He's getting taken down by an orc. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, uh, Martian definitely on our list of movies to watch and review on Freaking Geeks. So, uh, a quick announcement. Uh, I have record. I recorded Glitch today, my mini episode. I'm also going to be doing a mini episode on The Crown, as well. Right. So I'm going to try to get those out as soon as I can. Glitch will be out tomorrow. Once I edit it, um, I'm trying to try and record The Crown and edit it tomorrow and get it out. So there should be two mini shows out tomorrow for uh, Freaking Geeks podcast. Awesome. Oh, pff, Ridley Scott made The Martian. Of, that's all you have to say. I'll see it all now. Right, see, there you go. Boom. <laughs> Just say Ridley Scott for Done. anything. Done. Um, all right, everyone. I think that pretty much wraps up our review of uh, this fantastic movie, Arrival. Uh, we're telling you A+. Plus. We're saying go see it. It is really great. You know, it's smart, right? It's intelligent. It, it tries to it has something to say. And, and hey, look, even if you go see the movie and you don't agree with our glowing review of the movie, um, <laughs> if even if it's a movie where you come out and go, eh, it was okay. I, I think, and this is how I operate. Um, so uh, granted, this is how I operate and, and other people don't have to. When I see a movie try to be smart, when I see a, uh, a movie that tries to say something uh, that isn't just your mindless fluff that you see uh, in cinema a lot these days. Um, I respect it at the very least for its attempt. Even if I come out and go, well, the execution wasn't really that great. Um, at least I give it props for trying uh, when so many movies don't try at all. So what I'm saying is I felt like I went into this movie and I gave it props for trying and then I gave it more props for actually succeeding. You know, this is why I'm giving it an A+. So even if I'd have gone and thought, oh, I didn't like this or I didn't like that, I still I think I still would have come out and said, okay, you know, like, it's not a great movie, but you should still see it for its attempt at trying to do something good. But in this case, yeah. it just did something good and it tried to. And for me, that's why it gets uh, an A+. Yeah, A freaking plus plus. <laughs> So it deserves it. Yes. All right, everyone. Well, that's it for us. So uh, again, next week is going to be a bit of an off week. We will have uh, mini episodes to, to knock out. Uh, you will have something to listen to. It's just not going to be a normal week. But after that, uh, it'll be back to our normal schedule. So um, until then, have a, a good holiday and we will see you soon. Yeah. See you guys later and stay freaky and stay geeky. All right, everyone. Good night. Night.